Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. You're listening to the Heroes Podcast Network. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the big episode 50 of Red Shirts and Runabouts. I... <laughs> Thank you, Zach. Big 5 um, I am Derek, one of your regular hosts on the show, and I have my two recurring interim hosts, uh, Zach. Hello. And Ray. Hi. 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 Uh, they have been joining me here on our Star Trek movie reviews, starting with Generations through all four TNG movies and then into the kelvin verse which we will wrap up tonight with our review of star trek beyond which is fitting for our 50th episode since it was kind of sort of a 50th anniversary film not exactly but let's 50th go anniversary ahead. film that didn't take place in the 50th anniversary year yeah. <laughs> it was an honorary 50th anniversary <laughs> film and they were filming it during the 50th anniversary there you go there you go for the record we did not plan this out no so it wasn't no. like we yeah. said episode 50 is going to be the Kelvin yeah. Beyond. That's episode. just too much backwards engineering. Yeah, it just it's a it's a happy coincidence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so before we dive into our review of Star Trek Beyond, I uh, did want to talk a little bit of Star Trek news. We do this from time to time when there's something noteworthy. And that is uh, Michelle Yao is in talks for her own Star Trek TV series. For those who do not watch Star Trek Discovery, she plays Captain Georgiou of the USS Shenzhou. And spoiler alert, sorry if you haven't watched season one yet, she also plays Emperor Georgiou of the Mirror Universe Terran Empire. And um, where we left her off is she was... Okay, so this is this gets a, a little confusing. <laughs> yeah. So in a scene that was cut from the season, she is approached by a Section Thirty One officer and offered a role in Section Thirty One. Now, they showed this scene later uh, outside of the actual series, but we do know it's confirmed that she is recurring in season two under this role as a Mirror Universe Mirror Universe Georgia working for Section Thirty One. So, reports are that her show would be a continuation of her Section 31 antics, so to speak. Yeah. How do you guys feel about that? Absolutely fine. First of all, Michelle Yao is a fantastic actress. Yes. And I got to see her multiple times this year between uh, Discovery and uh, Crazy Rich Asians. Two completely different roles. Both, she is a huge badass. So. <laughs> Uh, that's great. Mainly, I think it's great because I don't know how much more Section 31 stuff they can put into Discovery without taking away from the current cast and all the fun adventures they're going to have. So, separating Michelle Yao, giving her her own show, we obviously know she can handle it, she can lead this, she can keep us interested. So, maybe it is only a three or four season deal. 
but I think they could tell some interesting stories with her surrounding her Giorgio dichotomy. For sure. Yeah, I agree. Um, I mean, that was one of my concerns with the first season of Discovery is that early on it didn't quite feel like Trek to a lot of people, myself included, uh, and I was still on board. But I remember, I think Derek, we had a couple conversations where I said that it felt, or, you know, it seemed like it early on the show was very much Section 31-esque. Like, it didn't feel like the Federation that I knew and loved, which it's a different point in history and I was willing to, to you know, lean into that. But, um, so yeah, knowing that, you know, we've ended on a much more optimistic note, Obviously, her character is going to continue on for a while, but there's less, there's not a lot of reason to keep her character going in the main Discovery show, especially if we're moving towards a more optimistic, hopeful area. So, taking Section 31 aside, also, yes, Michelle Yao is not only a fantastic actress and just amazing in every way, but the way her character developed, um, or characters developed over Discovery, really, and what, what it seems like they're doing with her in Season 2, from what we gather, um... I think she's kind of the perfect face for Section 31, which is this morally ambiguous, 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 <laughs> morally ambiguous, uh, and conflicted character who uh, has a lot of potential for growth, uh, but also is not afraid to do some dirty things if it means serving a greater good. And I, I think there's a lot of potential there. Yeah, I mean, that's basically what the Terran Empire is, and that's basically what Section 31 is, right? Uh, whether that's the Prime Timeline or the Kelvin Timeline, Section 31 is there to do whatever it takes to protect earth to protect mm -hmm. starfleet and let's face it as the emperor of the of the terran empire her main focus was to do whatever it took to protect the terran empire so she's up to the task um i think it would be interesting to see her do her own show we don't know yet if this would be an ongoing series like the picard's show is supposed to be or it might be a limited series you know yeah. we, we don't know yet um you know there is that little part of me that you know in an alternate timeline somewhere, Sinequa Martin-Green has enough time to do two shows and they could do a prequel series on the Shenzhou um, with Captain Giorgio. Would, would be pretty amazing. But, it, would. Um, it really would. But I don't think we're going to get that. No. So. But yeah, so that's happening. We have no real timeline. It's early on in development. I imagine this is something that is probably a little bit behind the Picard show, but... At the same, you know, same token, you've got <laughs> Michelle Yao already in this universe kind of set up. So maybe it's something they can push along faster because they can reuse sets and technology that the, and props that they've already built. That's fair. Uh, versus yeah, the Picard show that they can't really do that. Yeah. So, um, so we'll see. You know, maybe this is something that we see in late 2020, but probably more like 2021 if I was going to guess. Yeah. Anything else on on that? No, I think. We all kind of summed it up pretty well. Cool. Okay. All right. Well, um, so real quick before we go into our main topic, which is Star Trek Beyond, I'm going to plug something else we're doing here on the Heroes Podcast Network, mm. and that is the third annual Screen Heroes Awards, which we do uh, every year for the last three years uh, over on Screen Heroes, which is one of our sister podcasts that Ray and I also host together. It's our TV and film series. It focuses... Um, with a heavy emphasis on superhero genre stuff, but sci-fi and fantasy as well. And we do a big award show where we go over how many categories? So it always varies from year to year. This year we have roughly 30 categories. Uh, we're doing it a bit differently. We're instead of presenting and going off of just what the audience, our viewers kind of uh, went with, we're also we have a roundtable discussion this year, and we're going to have some of the other hosts 
kind of talk to us about what they thought were their favorites. And, you know, it's going to be a bit objective, a bit subjective. So uh, it should be a fun two-hour night. Join us. Get your opinions heard. So this will be recorded and broadcast live on Twitch Tuesday, December 4th at 9 p.m. Eastern. So you can catch us and join us live during that. Uh, or you'll be able to catch the episode the that Thursday on December uh, 6th mm-hmm. as the official release of the episode. So please join us for that. It's a lot of fun. You'll get to see a lot of faces because there's video um, of different hosts on the network. Um, you will not see my face. I will be behind the camera this year because we're going to try and do some different stuff. You were behind the camera last year too. Yeah, but I, I came up for a couple of awards, I think. So there was a skit. Ryan did something. I don't know. But, but no, no face this year. No face this That's year. Sad. But you'll get a good face. But <laughs> thank you, thank you very much. Uh, but hopefully you'll you'll uh, get to see some fun fun other other hosts on the network. So that is that. All right. So let's go ahead. We'll take a short break and then we will come back to review Star Trek Beyond. Hello, listeners. John here from Gamer Heroes Podcast. No, not that John. A new, improved John. Join all new hosts every Wednesday for discussion on all the latest games and gaming news. Hit us up to get the hottest takes, freshest memes, and deep, overly personal discussion on video games, though we reserve the right to also discuss board games, Dungeons & Dragons, music, art, society, and anything else that pops into our noggins. Level up your gaming podcast from silver to diamond with Gamer Heroes. See you on Wednesday. John out. All right, and we are back. So, Star Trek Beyond. Uh, this movie, of course, came out in 2016. It was the highest budget Star Trek movie ever made with a budget of $185 million. Now, to put that in perspective, the new Star Wars movies get about 200. Aquaman got 165. Suicide Squad got 165. Um, BVS and Captain America Civil War got 250. I believe Avengers, Infinity War, and four each got two fifty or three hundred. So this this is a good budget. This is a very good budget for a modern franchise film that does not make billions of dollars. Um, it brought in sadly only a hundred and fifty eight point eight million domestically, yeah. um, with a little bit more on the foreign box office, which brought it up to three hundred and forty three million worldwide um not a great showing for the most recent and possibly final kelvin timeline movie yeah it's uh, in the air it's possible it was the lowest grossing um domestically of um the kelvin timeline films it was actually the lowest worldwide grossing of the kelvin timeline films um if you adjust for inflation it, it drops down to eighth place which makes no sense considering it is easily the best of these films. Yup. So let's, uh, this is why we can't have nice things. So yeah, so let's dive into this. Uh, we did do a poll on Twitter. Uh, we've been doing this at Red Shirts Pod on Twitter. And we uh, basically asked, how would you grade the film with an A, B, C, and then D or F? Because you only get four options on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got 98 votes <clears throat> on this one. So 51% gave it an A. 31% gave it a B, which means 82% okay. gave it a B or above. That's fair. Uh, 5% gave it a D or F. 
And um, I'm curious what these people think about the rest of our podcast series because if yeah. they're if they're listening to this, we probably don't see eye to eye on much of this stuff, I'll which be is honest. fine. But um, I would love to hear why you know what their objection is to this film. I agree. So if you are one of those people who gave it a D or F, yeah, hit us up at Red Shirts Pod on Twitter. Let us know your thoughts. We are Man, curious. not me. Don't at me. I don't want to hear <laughs> your stupid opinion. Like I love this. Movie. Well, I run the Twitter. The Twitter. <laughs> I'm gonna handle, assume so. you're a Trump voter, so I don't care. Oh, that's <laughs> that's, that's harsh. Uh, you don't love this film and you don't love happiness. Then you have a justice. tiny dick in our day, too. That really escalated quickly. Uh, uh, Rachel right. killed a man with a trident. <laughs> <laughs> he had it coming, though. Uh, yeah, you should probably lay low for a little while. Oh, now I just want to sing so Tango after that. Uh, like, um, this has clearly gone off the rails. Anchor crazy references. train. So, all right. So, Star Trek Beyond. Yeah. So, this is the third Kelvin film. Um, I think the three of us probably agree it's the best of the three. Anybody not agree with that statement? No, I I completely agree. Okay. Um, I actually rank it very high among all of the Star Trek films. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, depending on the day, it's actually uh, usually number four on my list. <laughs> yeah. Um, of 13 movies, if that tells you anything. So, yeah. Um, let's, I guess we'll just start at the, uh, at the beginning. Um, I mean, why not? That's a good place to start. <laughs> it is. It is. It's usually where we start. Uh, so we open up with Kirk on an away mission by himself, uh, to this planet. He's trying to give over an artifact and, um, it's an interesting scene. It's a weird start to the movie because, you know, it's totally kind of a, uh, oh, what's the, what's the term I'm, I'm looking for here? But they, they totally flip on you, right? You think they're these big, kind of aggressive, intimidating... They made them very scary looking, you know? Yeah. You, mm-hmm. you see them, you see how fast they can move, and the deep voice and everything. And then it turns out that they're nothing more than, like, a piddly-ass Pokemon. Yeah. That, you know, you can easily catch with a regular ball. You don't even need right. a berry for this. Wow. <laughs> it's, it's true. It's really true. Sorry, we were talking about the Detective Pikachu trailer that dropped today, so we're, we're all we're all on the Pokemon high right now. I play Pokemon Go at least six or seven times a day, so yeah, same. Like that app gets opened up a lot. My whole life is Pokemon related. Yeah. Well, anyway, so uh, it's a fun scene. Kirk acts the shit out of the scene. Like he's fantastic. <laughs> like when he's like trying to deliver the the thing, he's like, and they're like, "Well, what's wrong with it?" And he's like. Like, he just, he seems so annoyed, which carries in, like, through the next few scenes as you kind of see, like, his headspace at this point when this movie starts. But it's so great. Like, he's on this diplomatic mission, and he just, but he gives no shits. He's just so, <laughs> he's so over it. And, like, he's not even worried about his, you know, his safety at this point. He's just, you know. I absolutely love that his uniform gets torn. <laughs> Because it's yeah. the most Shatner Kirk thing that ever happens. It's true. In the original series. And then he makes the joke after he gets beamed up. It's like, oh, ruined another uniform. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's a thing. That scene where he goes into his closet and he just heavy sighs at all the uniforms. Yeah. Like, there's, the there's not one piece of regular clothing. And he's just like... Life is starting to feel very episodic, as he says. Such a great line. Yeah, it was a great monologue, great line, great coffee mug. You've got that symbol tattooed on your shoulder. I do. Yeah, I do, actually. I want the mug, too. I do, too. I would buy that mug. I love the minimalist Delta Shields. It is. It's really cool. Um, I think the reason why 
I love beyond so much is that you can tell that the people who made it love Star Trek. Mm -hmm. They don't just know Star Trek. They love Star Trek. Yes. Because that opening is a a love letter to the original series. I mean, this whole movie, you could argue, is a love letter to Star Trek in general. But That's true. That opening especially, you're right. It's very much... Yeah. So so yeah, you know, he gives his, he's given his captain's log and he is bored and I mean maybe there's some parts in it that might be a little heavy-handed you know about you know it's hard to 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 feel grounded when even the gravity is artificial, but I actually love it. Yeah. I think it's very trek to be that kind of over the top right, <laughs> right. about things. Um so I think it's it's a lovely scene. We do get a good look at the new uniforms. Yeah. Which, and they're nice. I mean, I I'm I, a fan. I want one. They're great. Yeah, I, uh, they're beautiful. I have a a command gold one, and it's just I love it. I love everything about it. The colors are perfect. I need to know how much you paid for it because I mean, once I come into some more money, I will need to purchase one. So. <laughs> it wasn't that bad. I'll have to look. I got yeah. it. I got it a couple of years ago, but I, I basically bought it directly after the movie came. Out, yeah, <laughs> um, because I I wanted to wear it, but it it seems to embody the original series uniforms perfectly without them looking old and cheap yes you know whereas the the two previous films the design was completely different it really was they just kept the colors yeah um so this movie of course uh directed by justin lynn who a lot of people were unsure about because he was really known for fast and the furious right if i can interject like just as context for this group of people here i remember you posting an article about like this and or I mean, it may have even been the first trailer or something and talking about like Justin or I think it was just an article about Justin Lin and I remember saying like I don't know how to feel about this and then Rachel commented she's like badly we feel badly <laughs> and for like months I sat there and I made absolute horrible jokes about it being called like Enterprise Drift yeah and, yeah. and I mean we were all on that same I boat like ate I ate so much crow yeah. like he proved me wrong not only was this a beautiful film yeah. to look at it was incredibly well done the dialogue the scenes like yeah. everybody was spot on and it's worth noting that we all went in skeptical yeah like I that, only have a few complaints, but it's yeah, same. pretty good. Well, I mean, there was even that, so there was that scene, I told you guys, like, after the first trailer came out, there was that scene in the trailer where Kirk goes, well, let's never do that again. And I remember th- commenting to you guys, I'm like, God, I hope that's not how I feel walking out of the film. Yeah. <laughs> and it certainly wasn't. Like, Look, God we've damn, all been like, wrong before. Yeah. I, I remember. Pleasantly surprised to be wrong in this sort of a context. Like, how often are we wrong about movies, though? Like, we go into them kind of knowing if we're going to end up liking them or not. It's just on that's a fair. scale of how much. Sure, but and... like, Heath Ledger. I did not think Heath Ledger could pull off the Joker in The yeah. Dark Knight. Until I heard the first teaser where it's just the bat symbol with the fire and it has the voiceover. Mm-hmm. And he does his little monologue and the laugh. And I'm like, well, yeah. well I was wrong. Yeah. <laughs> you know. But yeah, basically we can count on one hand probably the amount of times we've been like dramatically wrong about something like this. Yeah. But I, I had a little bit of confidence in Justin Lin simply because on a personal level, I knew how much the series, the franchise meant to him. And I didn't know that until later. And like the little touches, like the the uh, the ship name being a tribute to his dad like oh right yeah the franklin yeah and and like it, and they really do it is a subtle space blink and you miss it because it is the uss franklin but like when you're looking at that placard on the the bridge it is the franklin like which is it was cool it's a beautiful tribute and yeah. it's one that 
you know, is not heavy handed. If you don't know about it, it doesn't impact the film. Yeah, doesn't matter. Um, it's, it's very beautiful. much in the same way of the Kelvin, because uh, yeah. the Kelvin is. Um, Oh, it's somebody's grandfather's name. Is it JJ's? I thought it was JJ's. I, yeah, I think, it, I think it was JJ's. And, I mean, Which is there's cool. nothing wrong with that. It's a great yeah. name. It's a good name for a ship. It's not in your face. Yeah. If you don't know, it doesn't impact the movie. Right. Um, and it's, it is really neat because it wouldn't always work for everybody. Like, my grandpa's names are Paul and Walter. The USS Walter isn't really, you know, it doesn't have that same kind of... But you could have uh, a captain fact, or an admiral. Exactly. It would be more like that. So I think it's a great tradition that they, the directors have some sort of connection to the ships. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, it's written by Simon Pegg and Doug Young. And Simon Pegg, of course, is Scotty. And he's been a Trekkie his whole life. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm a huge Simon Pegg fan anyway. But I know how much he loves Star Trek. And so yeah. when I knew he was writing it, I had... I had some optimism there. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so all right. So we have our intro. We have, you know, the, it's interesting because it kind of sets up Kirk to kind of be Pike in this movie. Mm-hmm. The Pike we know from the cage, not the Kelvin movies. Yeah. Right. Because if you've seen the cage from the original series, and this is for anybody who hasn't, he is bored. He's kind of burned out. He doesn't really want to do this anymore. He yeah. is thinking about you know, leaving the ship, maybe even leaving Starfleet. And that's um, a thread that runs through the original pilot. And um, I think, I don't know if it was intentional or not, but I feel like that's what they were going for here with this version of Kirk. Now that Pike is no longer alive in this timeline, Kirk has been out there in space for three years almost. Mm -hmm. And he's now in that mindset of maybe being bored and burned out. Right. What do you guys think about that? I guess I it's been so long since I've watched The Cage that I did not draw that connection, but that that's interesting. Fair enough. I think it's good. It makes sense. You know, at the beginning of this whole thing, he's such a pie-in-the-sky kind of kid who does things uh, for spite or for the adventure, for the story later, and He's run out of those stories. It's three years into his five-year mission, which is also, what, six years total? Course of time since the first one. I mean, I guess maybe and, five. Like, you can tell no, that he's right. done about mm-hmm. five year mission, yeah. You know, 30 of those diplomatic missions. Like, yeah. in his head, he's run out of stories. Mm-hmm. And it's not exciting. There's no adventure to it anymore. Yeah. And I think, you know, he, he even has the line again. He says it in all all three movies, I think, that he basically joins Starfleet on a dare, like yeah. you're saying. You know, that he's not even sure if he belongs there. Mm-hmm. And I like that it's balanced on the other side by Spock and his concern about staying in. Because remember, at the end of the first film, he wants to leave and Ambassador Spock talks him out of it. Mm-hmm. Well, now Ambassador Spock is no longer in the picture, which we'll get to. Yeah. Um... Don't make me sad again today. We already lost so, Stan Lee today. Why do I think about that? I know. Yeah. Uh, our best to Stan Lee's family and, and loved ones on that. We'll talk about that on Screen Heroes this yeah. week. We're recording on the day we all just found out, so it's... We're, we're not quite little, prepared, but... We're all a little sad right now. Um, but yeah, so I, I appreciated that both of them were thinking about leaving their posts, and neither of them knew how to tell the other. Right. Which I thought was really important. We talked last week about their bromance, and this is like an aspect of that. Like, they care about each other, but there is this level of, like, 
maybe not entirely toxic masculinity, but like socially acceptable masculinity where it's like, you know, they're, they're both very stoic individuals and they don't know how to tell the other person that they may not be there for them. And that, that's, it's, it's a, it's a cool thing to see, but sad at the same time. Well, I don't think anybody likes giving bad news to a close friend. And by this right. point, we're supposed to believe that they, they are the Kirk and Spock and Bones that we know from the original series. Yes. Right. For it sure. took, took a couple of years, but they got there. Right. Yeah. And the last thing either one wants to do is ruin that, but they have, they feel like they have to do what's right for themselves. Um, so I like that. I thought that was a cool thread. So, okay. So they go to the Yorktown. What do you guys York, think about the Yorktown? Yorktown's absolutely insane to look at. Yeah. What is it? Uh, uh, Bones calls it uh, a snow, snow globe, globe in space. Yeah. 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 But I mean, he's not very positive about it. <laughs> and it, again, like I just, I love Chris Pine as an actor um like in the way he's like all right bones like i mean i just i love like his you know his snarkiness throughout this film and um just the lack of fucks that he gives uh but um yeah yorktown okay first of all michael giacchino is a genius we've said it a couple times in the last two weeks i'm gonna say it again and his yorktown theme like i was listening to that on loop for days after we saw this film it's beautiful it feels uh he communicates so much with with um, instruments and um, you know, and no lyrics, but it, it's just a, 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 it's a song that feels very hopeful and very Trek, uh, and I loved it. And and that being the, the uh, music at the in- introduction of uh, Yorktown was really cool, and it's a, it's aesthetically beautiful too. It's so I I love all of his Star Trek work, all mm-hmm. of it. It is. Um, Sorry, I was gonna, this. I I think the the Beyond is my favorite of the three. Oh, yeah, I think it's for me. It's my favorite sure. of his work on sure. Star Trek. I said last week that that Into Darkness was my favorite simply because I felt like it was the most diverse. You've got like the Klingon choir. You've got the really sad piano things. You've got the like hopeful Trek and like his normal like action stuff. Like I felt like it was the most diverse. I don't think Beyond was as diverse. No, but it 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 is really really good. And that Yorktown theme, like that. I may like Into Darkness overall better musically, but the Yorktown theme is my favorite thing that Giacchino contributed to Star Trek. Yeah, I think that's, that's fair. <laughs> uh, Yorktown's a bit problematic for me, <laughs> simply because it's the most advanced thing we've ever seen in Star Trek, and just time-wise it doesn't really fit, in my opinion. I'm not quite sure, but that's where it, it ends. It's one of my two complaints throughout the entire film, so... I'm I'm fine with it. It is absolutely gorgeous to look at and I would be interested in a fake documentary on how the science works for all of it. Oh, that'd be fun. Right? Like Yeah. That would be cool. Explain to me how you keep that water still and how it doesn't fall down on people's heads. Like force fields. Tell me. <laughs> <laughs> I need to know these things. It's inertial dampeners, I'm sure. <laughs> has something to do with it. Star Trek um, should make fake documentaries on explaining their science. Well, they have a lot of books that I, explain I, a lot of it. But I can't watch a book. I mean, you could. It's kind of boring. It's a joke. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I was um, uh, no, so I, that's my only issue. So I, I agree with you. I think the Yorktown is absolutely beautiful. It's one of the coolest sci-fi installations I've ever seen in my life. I think that it is an amazing reimagination of what a Starbase was in Star Trek. With that said, it does seem implausible that they built it. Because it's, it's first off, its scale is absolutely massive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you see how big the ships are 
compared to it. Yeah. Um, so from a size perspective, it's huge. We haven't seen Earth's space dock, at least not the Earth's space dock we see in the original series movies, yeah. um, which would be similar in size. Uh-huh. Um, so, so far we haven't really seen anything remotely close to this size. Um, the, so The closest thing that we have is Deep Space Nine. And that's not even in the right time. Well, Earth, Earth space dock would be about that size in the, yeah. in, in the original stuff. Yeah. But we haven't seen that in the Kelvin timeline. True. Yeah. Okay. So if you look at just the Kelvin timeline, I guess maybe the installation that Section 31 has where the Vengeance was built. Right. But we never got to see the whole thing. Right. And so it may have just been the one ship. We mm-hmm. don't know how big it actually was. Yeah. Right. So this appears to be by far the most impressive thing. That Starfleet's ever put out for the sure. Federation technologically, it, it reminded me a lot of. I'm a fan of the Bio, uh, not Bioshock. Uh, I'm a fan of the Mass Effect video games, and this reminded me very much of the Citadel from the first game and some of the oh, things you oh, see yeah. in those games. Uh, very, I um, see that. yeah. Uh, it reminded me of that. Also, I will say, like, I'm I'm with you. I think it's a valid complaint. Like the concerns about the technological advancement up to this point. I'm, I give it a pass because it's the Kelvin verse, but like that's just like my go-to. Like I, I hang up suspension of disbelief because Kelvin verse when I watch these films. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but I think that's a valid complaint. I mean, the other complaint is too the uh, vast amount of species that we see. Which, on the one hand, I'm a Trekkie and I love, and it's all about diversity and all these species coming together, and that's a really beautiful thing. And, and to see this this bustling hub of a diverse amount of species working together, like just going about their daily lives together, is kind of beautiful. And I, and I love that. It's very Trek. On the other hand, if I'm going to nitpick it, it's like, did the Federation really know that many species at that point in time in history? Why haven't we seen one damn Andorian? Right, right. Like, We're seeing all these other species, but no fucking Andorians. They're so simple. Yeah, like, it's a really so... easy species to nail down. Like, why Why are there none walking around? So let me hit a couple of those things. So, no. No. So first, I want to be angry, goddammit. <laughs> first off. Okay, go ahead. Um, I'm able to put aside the technological advance and the size of the thing because it's not relevant to the story. Exactly. Yeah, It exactly. doesn't impact the plot in any way. It's just beautiful beautiful to look at and which it is, is a movie so i'm fine with it which is why i feel like my complaint about it is very nitpicky and i can easily overlook right um zach to your point about it looking like the citadel in mass effect it actually also reminded me a little bit of the rings in halo oh yeah um, right you know obviously different right but um that real the kind sure. of, you know where it's built on the inside and it wraps around right the, the wrapping that. around element the the interesting take on gravity mm-hmm. because i mean if gravity's relative then why not build your shape like, like a giant ring or like a giant uh mc escher um it's kind of picture. almost like a mini mm-hmm. dyson sphere like we saw yeah, in cng for sure um, but like i mean with the dyson sphere it's like just the inside of a sphere this right. is like we're gonna fuck with that and make it a ring and loops and, and some of our like, like highways crossing yeah, over each other yeah um because we can do that now <laughs> right now, for the species thing, I think by this point, we, we would have known hundreds of species. Mm-hmm. Okay? By the TNG time, there's like sure. over 300 worlds. Right. Right? So if we assume some level of consistency for that, mm-hmm. 100 years earlier, having 100 or 150 seems reasonable. That's fair. You, you got to think that some planets have... <laughs> I agree with that. <laughs> ...sentient species. More than one, like... Speakable, knowledgeable, can get around, like, 
we only have the one. We have humans and that's it. But, you know, it's stupid to think that all the other worlds are confined to that. I think it's sure. really stupid to think that, you know, even in the DC world, that Martians, there are only two colors and kinds of Martians. Like, right. that makes no damn sense to me. So, hey, there is, I, there is one planet that, like, has a whole re- uh, race of aliens that has black on one side and white on the other. And then black. I want to see those. <laughs> and then black on Bring the other side and white on the aliens. other. Yeah. Um, Bring back so, the obvious racial metaphor. So, here, so no, Andorians. <laughs> yeah. I, I understand which, and Star Trek has touched on that. You have the Zindi, which is six different species mm-hmm. that are all yes. very different. Um, there have been, you know, the Andorians, there's a subspecies of Andorians that are talked about in Enterprise. I forgot about that. Uh, it's been so long. There's a few other episodes here and there. The trick is, and the way it's usually framed, now look, this is how it's framed in Star Trek. I am not a biologist. <laughs> I am not a specialist in evolution or any of that type of stuff. Uh, but the way it's usually framed is that once a species becomes dominant, it would destroy anything that would come close to it similar to what happened to the neanderthals here on earth that's fair it would be unlikely that two species would both reach technological advancement like that on the same planet now star trek has that a few times but it's considered a rarity Mm -hmm. rather than a commonality Mm -hmm. Um, well i'm not saying that seven or eight can survive on a class planet like ours there's no way humans would allow for something like that but you know to think that one or two that's fine i'm just making excuses for all these new species and races that we see that have never been seen before which i know when 09 came out that was a huge complaint people were like where have these aliens been who's this bug-eyed lady working in the uh um yeah yeah much better eyesight i'd be happy to have her as my midwife right i just want to know where she came from (laughs) she's there so early and to be fair (laughs) it was a big argument in enterprise with like the suluban and the zindi uh, because it's hard to do new stuff in a prequel Mm -hmm. yeah you know because you either have to and why all of us were very apprehensive about Discovery's exactly, time. Exactly, right. yeah. Um, so, you know, Just go thousands of years in the future, please. <laughs> so you run into those kinds of problems. And look, Doug Jones' character Saru on Discovery is a Kelpian, and that's a species that we had never heard of before. And, you they know, apparently get eaten. So that's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a problem when you do prequels, right? Yeah. Um, so that's, the thing here is that this... The Yorktown harkens back to Star Trek The Motion Picture, mm-hmm. where when they're explaining the mission they're about to go on and you see the whole cast of everybody standing there in the presentation room, there are tons of aliens in that audience yeah. that in 1979, most people probably didn't notice, right? Because you saw it on the big yeah. screen that one night. But now that we have the Blu-ray, we can nitpick the whole thing. <laughs> we can watch it frame by fucking frame, and we will. There is some cool stuff they, in there. Look, The Motion Picture, say what you want about it, it... It is a slog, but, (laughs) and I'm so sorry. It's a beautiful slog. (laughs) It is, it is. I can't help but think of V-Jiny instead of V-Jer, but, (laughs) but, they celebrated their budget. Mm-hmm. That's true. And that is great. That is a good thing. You had artists who are so used to being confined and using small toys that they found at discount stores. You know, they get to actually use it and create new prosthetics. So, yeah. good for them. Celebrated slash overcompensated for the lack of budget before. <laughs> so, so, Beyond, I feel like, does this to Tomato, tomato. <laughs> yeah. This, Beyond got the largest budget of any Star Trek movie mm-hmm. ever. And yeah. what do you see? You see more 
diverse aliens. You, you see, see more Yorktown. Com- yeah. You see more complex <laughs> yeah. aliens that got right. them nominated for an, uh, an Oscar. You yeah. Know? yeah. And lost to Suicide I don't want to talk about it. Oh, God. It's oh, freaking ridiculous. I agree. Killer Croc was not that good, guys. And he's okay. got only one character. You know how many crazy aliens there are in this movie? You can't tell me that Whoa. Diablo's tattoos won. <laughs> like, no. Oh, God, no. Like, you know... <laughs> Right. Anyway, or, or, we're not or gonna the go mud down, on what's her face's face, the villain. We're not going to go down that tangent because it's ridiculous. But yeah. but yeah, so I feel like they took that budget and they ran with it. You got yeah. two stars, two Federation ships. You got yeah. the swarm. You got the Yorktown. You got mm-hmm. these aliens. The new uniforms that clearly were more expensive to produce mm-hmm. than the previous two yeah. films. Um, I feel like they stretched their budget on that, and it shows. It looks great. Yeah, yeah. It you was a money well spent. So we're on the Yorktown. We find out that uh, Picard, Picard, wow, that's a weird one. Kirk, Picard is being conceived. Uh, Kirk, yeah, Kirk um, is thinking about. Well, he's he submitted an application to be the vice admiral of Yorktown. Yeah, to leave the captain. I chair. love that actress. Uh, oh yeah, she's really great. Um, she had a larger role originally. They had to cut some of her her stuff down. Mm-hmm. I um, want her to like read audiobooks. I like her voice. I'm good with that. Yeah. Interjection yeah. number one of my running theme for tonight, where they could have put Carol Marcus. Carol Marcus could have been promoted, gotten off the ship, and met him at Yorktown, and this could have been her point. Yeah. Where she and Kirk come together. They also could have had a spicy one-night stand while he is in Yorktown. They were and in Yorktown. And she could have kicked him out the next morning. Yep. That would have been awesome. Okay, so, interjection done. S- so, no, no, no. We no, don't no. have to argue. I want to it's not an argument. I just want yeah. to explain real quick to anybody who isn't the three of us and isn't sure why you brought that up. Um, so Go watch last week. Last week we talked week, about yeah. In the Darkness, right? And Carol Marcus is gone in Beyond. And if you read the comics, the IDW comics, there's a little bit of an explanation in there. and She is yeah. on some journeys with them. I appreciate IDW making up for the in-betweens. I do. And they did a good job. Now, the official response was that they did not I – be, I believe this was Simon Pegg who said this, uh, so I apologize if I'm wrong on that. But basically, and I'm paraphrasing, that they didn't have a big enough role for her, and they didn't just want to have her in the movie with nothing to do. I remember you saying that. Now, I don't – I don't look. I don't know what Alice Eve costs to have in a film. I don't know what her filming schedule was like at the time. I don't know those details. But Come on, Derek. It would have been nice to have some explanation – Mm-hmm. Of where mm-hmm. she is, since she requested assignment on the Enterprise, she was at the memorial ceremony that takes place a year later at the end of Into Darkness. She's clearly considered a part of the crew yes. by the time the credits roll, and then she's just gone. So I figured out so. ways for Carol Marcus to be inserted into the plot logically, mm-hmm. not forced, yeah. but just in there as part of the crew in multiple different places of the story they could have put her in. There's only one group where I didn't place her because I thought it was a little excessive. So as we come across and talk about these, I'm just going to be quick interjection. Here's where you could have had her and what she could have done. This is my first one. She could have been promoted, gotten off somewhere in those three years and transferred to Yorktown. And she could have been the one to talk to Kirk about the vice admiral thing. I I like that. I I am looking forward to more of these interjections. (laughs) 
I just wanted to put context for, for yeah. fair enough. Fair okay. Enough. Um, <laughs> now we're now, set. Now Kirk's wearing a totally different uniform in this scene. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. It's the, like the Yorktown. I guess it's a Starbase uniform. Is probably it's what it is. So good looking. I love it. It's so awesome. it was like they, they weren't pips, but they were pips, and they yeah. were just little triangles, and they looked amazing. And I really want them. Like this. This movie. I mean, don't get me wrong. Discovery does a great job, but this movie I kind of feel like set the bar for Star Trek uniforms in 2016 when it came out. And then Discovery was like, fuck you, cosplayers. <laughs> like, yeah. All right. So um, also, um, so I love the aspect they get to Yorktown. There's the family thing. If I can briefly interject, I just, I really, I loved, there was some controversy ahead of time about making Sulu gay, but I do feel like this film really did it right. The fact that he happened to have been married to a man and they had a daughter together, like, that wasn't a big deal. It was very subtle. They didn't talk about it. Like, it was like, oh, like, here you are with our daughter. I'm going to put my arm around you and we're going to walk away. Like, it was beautiful. And it's like, that's, that is the future I want to live in, where people, like, homosexuals don't have to come out and be like, oh, I'm gay. Like, it, they shouldn't have to do that. Like, it should just be like, oh, like, cool. Like, this doesn't matter. Love who you love. Nobody fucking cares. It also makes sense for somebody to have a family, to have children. Yeah. And, you know, Sulu's a great character for it because right. we see his daughter later on yeah. in uh, the TOS film. So, uh-huh. you know, it it was it was good. Yeah. The way it was done was really well and it didn't tasteful. have to be like the big sign like hey diversity yeah it like just... Sulu wasn't wearing like a rainbow uniform right like, no like it was just it was very subtle and it was well done and Star Trek's never really been that kind of person to no. make somebody wear their labels out and yes for everybody so I get that well and so I, I just want to make a note that so the controversy was really from George Takei was concerned that they were making Sulu gay because George Takei is gay. Yeah. And Sulu as a character was never considered gay on the mm-hmm. show. And I just, I, I completely respect that and I understand. I think he was kind of the only option. Yeah. Because let's look at the main cast. Kirk is a woman. They've made Chris Pine's Kirk a more of a womanizer than Shatner's Kirk was. Uh-huh. Right? Um, Spock is with Spock Uhura. is with Uhura. They've Bones, Bones, they've already said, was divorced. And she yeah. got the whole planet in the divorce, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so they've already noted that. So that leaves you with Sulu and Chekhov. And Chekhov is... And Scotty. Al- oh, yeah, and Scotty. So I guess Scotty was an option. Yeah. Chekhov would have been, in my opinion, too young to, for the family yeah. part of that story. I like that and Chekhov Scotty's very is like... married to his work. Yeah. And maybe maybe that's maybe that's Scotty's thing is yeah he's too focused on the Enterprise. Now, they could have made any one of uh, the main three bisexual and it would have been fine. But yeah. I also think that making uh, Spock gay would be because Quinto's gay. You know, it, it's the oh, same sure. thing. Same thing about the concern like, with the George K. The thing is, uh, since Spock is an alien and he's a Vulcan, then you have to worry about that conversation. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I and agree. There's more. There's more to it than that. Look, it was just a small thing, and it only makes sense that some of these people have families off the ship. I agree. And since you want the family aspect, mm-hmm. I feel like Sulu is the logical choice for that as a, as one of the main cast because Zach, to your point, I mean, yeah. Scotty, I think, has even said it in previous incarnations that like the Enterprise is the only woman in his life. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like so, you know, woman, man, whatever. He's dedicated to the ship. Yeah. That's that's all he's done. By the end to. of the movie, I kind of wanted to see Scotty and Jayla kiss. Like, yeah. come on, they, they had they such had a, a thing going good chemistry. I, they bonded over. I their find them being background. completely platonic. I love that they're platonic. Yeah. I because their relationship 
is one of my favorite aspects of this movie. Mm-hmm. Jayla is mm-hmm. one of my favorite characters in Star Trek after mm-hmm. this movie. And if they do a fourth film and she's not in it, you better give me a damn good reason why. Yeah. Because she's really cool. She's so good. And has a much more substantial role than Carol Marcus did. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so if I let you slide with Carol, you're going to have to give me a reason for Jayla. Yeah. Um, don't even make... In fact, you know what? Don't even make a fourth movie if you can't get Jayla. <laughs> like, I don't fucking care. <laughs> We well, have a good trilogy and that's self-contained. I don't need more, but if you're going to make another one, it has to have Jayla. I want to mm-hmm. get back to that at the end here because I actually have some very strong thoughts. Okay, that occurred to me for the first time. I think watching. I'm looking it. forward to this. Yeah. rewatch. So, all right. So they get the distress call. This alien shows up. There's a distress call. Uh, they show the translator, which I thought was really cool. That was neat. Um, I thought that was a really neat technological advancement in. Um, and communication technology and translator technology, something that you didn't get to really see in action much yeah. in Star Trek. The translator either worked or didn't. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I thought that was cool. This whole series of events, starting with that distress call and that mysterious alien, was so much more emotional this time around for me. I got all teared up, I guess, because like just watching it play, watching her completely screw them over and send uh i don't know how many lives are on that ship but it looks like about a hundred people bit the dust yeah i mean the original series harsh yeah that's harsh to watch this time the original series enterprise had a crew of about 400 this one has much larger this ship's a lot larger Mm -hmm. in the kelvin timeline so 800 yeah Yeah. just to be let's just pick a number yeah i mean just from what like, we got to see on screen. I assume there's much more implied deaths. Yeah. But it, 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 was, it was not a short scene. There no. was a lot of dying. Like, I realized watching it this time, I'm like, this is a really long scene. Like, this keeps yeah. dragging on. And it's it's less than pleasant to watch. It's beautiful action-wise, aesthetically. They do some swarm. cool things when cool the stuff. ship twists and turns and yeah. starts falling. Like, yeah. them having to escape and get used to um, gravity being affected yes. in different ways. But but as far as sheer loss of life is concerned, like, it's Ooh. rough. And yeah. it keeps going. It doesn't stop. And and not only, like, loss of life of everyone on the ship, but, like, you're watching the nacelles being torn from the Enterprise. They like, have to disconnect the saucer. Yeah. <sighs> like, you're losing the ship that you've, you know, endured, you know, a couple mm-hmm. films with at this point. And... We watch Ahura sacrifice herself and, yeah. you know... God, there's there's a lot of a very a lot of like courageous moments all across the board. And from then on out, I really just want Kirk to punch that chick in the face yes. so many times. Yeah. Getting a spaceship landing on her is not a rough enough death. Like I just want somebody yeah. to just slap the shit out of her. <laughs> so the, the destruction of the Enterprise, I think, is an important scene because it, it, is. it is an incredibly Star Trek thing. That other franchises, I'm not saying can't do, but don't really do. The ship, I mean, I guess the closest is the, you know, the Serenity and Firefly and the Falcon and Star Wars. Uh The ship is a character in Star Trek. Mm -hmm. That's why you get so many sweeping shots of it in most of the films. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. And um, in this case, you didn't get really the sweeping shot of the ship until this scene and you yeah. get to see it destroyed yeah um they do the saucer set which i think is super cool because that's an original concept from the original tos show that yes. they could not afford to do mm-hmm. and that's why they finally did it in tng and i appreciate we've actually got to see it happen yeah 
on the big screen. And yeah. It's a beautifully done scene. And we saw this at the Alamo Draft House the first yeah. night. That was cool. Opening weekend. It was tragic watching them pull out all the tricks they possibly knew until the very last minute and abandoning was the last thing. When honestly, they didn't want to give up. That it was cool. probably should have been one of the first things. Like as soon as those swarm ships started piercing yeah. into it, that yeah. like, man, some of those decks should have abandoned a long time ago. Right. I feel like they I were just it. so caught off guard. Yeah. Well, caught off guard, and also like this is this is their home. Not only their ship and, and their their duty, but this it's, is their home. Yeah. Like I mean, you think about like they have their belongings in there. Right. You know? Right. I mean, like I think on a personal level, I think about like. When over a year ago now, when my dog died, and like there was like leading up to the point, like I knew she was going, but I spent way more money than I, a responsible adult should have trying to slow that and prevent that. Yeah. And that's like, so it's a human relatable thing to be like, this is something that I need to let go of, and I can't, and I want to keep holding on. I'm going to fight for it mm-hmm. as long as I can. And that's, I mean, that's what you see it the crew doing. off rattles off how many decks have been completely yeah. just fucked up. Right. And, and you it's know, not our home, so we can be like, dude, get the fuck out of there. List. But don't forget that they're defenseless in those pods. And the right, movie right. shows that. They all yeah. get captured. Yes. Most you know? do, yeah. And so if more of them get captured, you know, if they really abandon ship earlier, maybe none of them get away like they do in the movie. Right. You know? That's also a fair point. Um, one thing I want to point out, it's a super tiny note that's really easy to miss, is on the bridge, he calls them Kelvin Pods. Yeah. Not, I didn't notice that. Not escape pods. That's and cool. That is one of my favorite Kelvin timeline things. Yeah. Because they can't do it in the prime timeline. Yeah. They have to do it here and they did it and it's super cool. That is cool. Um, I love the idea that they hadn't really made a plan when the events on the Kelvin happened. Yeah. And after that, they sat around and decided we need a better way to get our people off of these ships. And we need seatbelts. Seat pods. <laughs> Those seatbelts are cool. Looking. They are cool. They are cool. We are not fucking around with safety. I just, I love that. I love, yeah. I love it. It's a, it's one of those small touches. Uh, again, something that if you missed, it doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. But when you catch it, you can appreciate the level of detail. Yeah. Um, Anybody else think that Bones and Spock going to the med bay and doing his head of security thing was just a really cool like cowboy-esque shot like them walking into the elevator and yeah Spock turn on, turn on get, left. yeah yeah it's an elevator <laughs> no elevators only go up and down it's more like a wonka vader oh God. <laughs> i'm so sorry they go into the turbola and they look like complete badasses yeah. and i loved it they do. Green. Their pair up is fantastic. Right. I was gonna say that's a good segue into what happens next, where like everyone's on the planet, like shit's going down, and and the you think about it, like this is a film that separated people that don't normally interact, like it, it combined people that don't normally interact together. So you've got Bones and Spock, who they interact like to jab each other, but not in any meaningful way, and to like separate them from the entire crew. That was great. From Jim. From Jim, yeah. And to have, like, uh, um, Scotty on his own and then discovering Jayla, that was a cool pair-up. Um, I mean, Jayla was obviously a new character at this point, but, like, having him being, like, imperative to, like, the plot moving forward and, and the discovery of, you know, things that were happening on that planet, it was really cool. Um, so that's the only group that I didn't want to interject Carol Marcus in because I thought since the two of them are going through such emotional uh, situations currently it would be a disservice to her to kind of serve as a third wheel. Yeah. Also, Between Spock and Bones. Yes. Yeah. Also, the the way the swarm ships are, physically she would not fit inside with their escape. It, so her actually being with them mm-hmm. makes no sense in a 
uh, just how did it happen? And also it just when it really worked. Their dialogue together is some of the funniest yeah. that uh, the Kelvin timeline has produced. Mm-hmm. And it's some of the most touching. And, you know, the, the previous two films were really about Kirk and Spock. And finally Bones is in that mix, too. And he belongs as, you know, the, finally they're a trio. Yeah. Sucks that it's in the third and last film. But finally, they're a trio. And I like that. It, yeah, I mean, it epitomized what those relationships were by the end of the TOS cast films Mm -hmm. in a really perfect way. And if Carl Urban is not the best casting, I don't know what is. Yeah, yeah. He just is so DeForest Kelly. I, I, I love the pairing of them. I love that Spock is injured. It gives Bones a chance to show what he can do. Cause mm-hmm. and attention to detail, his shirt was green. Okay. You see, know? as a colorblind person, I never really noticed. <laughs> it's, like, it's something that a new wardrobe person wouldn't even think of, but you yeah. have to stain the shirt. Our, our go-to is like, well, clearly just make it brown because our blood is red and the shirt is blue. But no, it, it was great. And it was good. Yeah, that's a great attention to detail. Um, it's a funny, like, I, I love the scene. You know, he's, he's trying to, you know, heal Spock a little bit, you yeah. know. And <laughs> yeah, he tricks him on the timing and everything like that. And mm-hmm. The horse shit comment. I just, yeah. It's a great banter that I feel like they would have had on an episode of the original series. Yes. Because there would have been an episode of the original series, a, a bottle episode where the two of them were, like, separated from the group. Like, I mean, I don't, I don't know off the top of my head if it never ever happened, but, like, that is a thing that feels right for mm-hmm. TOS. Agreed. I have a little fun fact. Um, he asks, or he confirms with Spock that their heart is in the place where our liver is. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a cool nod to Leonard Nimoy, who infused a lot of his Judaism into the Vulcan background. In ancient Hebrew culture, the liver was actually the organ of love, not the heart. So... Interesting. It's kind of no clue. That's a really cool. cool connection. I don't know if they did that intentionally. I have no clue, but yeah. I, I immediately just like went there. And, That's cool. Yeah. It seems like too much of a coincidence right? for that for to, to be just an accident. accident. Yeah. Uh, especially given the level of detail we see in this movie. Uh-huh. You know, I just, I feel like they were paying attention. Yeah. <laughs> you know? For sure. Because uh, that's super cool. Uh, that is cool. So. Rest in peace, Leonard Nimoy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we didn't even talk we'll, about that. We'll get to we'll get, there, well, we'll yeah. get to that when they they when show the, the photo. The box, yeah. Um, so yeah, so their, their interactions are great. You know, he goes delirious at one point, and just kind of starts laughing and everything like that, which is yeah. a funny moment because he bone starts to laugh too, and then realizes what's happening. Right, lots of blood. <laughs> he could have gone septic. Like we don't know here. As a side note, like it's really obvious in these scenes, but like. This is the the movie where Zachary Quinto didn't actually get his hair cut. Like, that's a wig. And there are several scenes where things are kind of, like, disheveled and messy, where it's like, yeah, I was a little, like, off the side. I mean, the the wig didn't line up Girl, quite right. glue your lace down. Like, yeah, come on. Exactly. See, it's <laughs> funny, though, because it looked the most normal to me, though. Because really? Because on the show, they're all wearing wigs. Uh, yeah, so sure. I'm used to that being what a Vulcan <laughs> actually looks right. like. So to me, I'm like... He looks better this time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So we have, uh, so that's one pair up. Sulu and Uhura get captured mm-hmm. uh, with a lot of other people. This is my least favorite Carol Marcus interjection because I feel like 
Bahora does such a great job standing up to crawl. Yes. She does a great job leading the way and uh, all of her banter back and forth with Sulu that I feel like Carol Marcus would have gotten lost and she just would have been another person in the crowd. Mm-hmm. And she easily could have been the victim instead of Syl. Um, Syl could still hide the Abernath in her prosthetic, which... Yeah. Such a cool... Again, athlete. why did this film not win Best Makeup? I don't want to talk about yeah. it. <laughs> moving but on, moving on. Carol Marcus could have... like the, the only thing I could think of that where she would serve as a good, uh, a good part in this group is she would have been the victim instead of Sel. That would have made the death more emotional instead of this new character we had just met. Right, but... But what was said by, and again, I believe it was Simon Pegg, was that they wanted to save her for later. Exactly. So they purposefully didn't want to kill her off. Yes. Or put her in a position where it would be hard to write her back in. Which is why I think in this group, having, like, the best thing they could do with her in this group is kill her off. And that's not fair. So uh, my least favorite interjection, obviously there are two more, so. So it's, it's a cool... It's a it's a cool pairing though of Sulu and Uhura. I like mm-hmm. the two of them together. Yeah, um, you know they're they're tough. They're intelligent. They you know they're using all of their resources. They actually have to keep the crew calm, which the mm-hmm. other pairings don't really have to worry about. Right, and they'd be bad at it anyways. <laughs> like none of them are well suited to deal with maybe the crew's Chekhov would needs. be good, but maybe, and yeah. maybe Scotty would be good, but n- no. No, I feel like Scotty wouldn't care, and he'd be like—I mean, he would care, but he'd be—he and he'd be good with, on an individual level. But he, I think he's more like, all right, just get the fuck out of here. Like, let me fix the ship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Everyone ended up where they needed to be in this film, right? Now, there's you know, there's a few things here that maybe from a writing perspective are kind of like meh. But so they escape, and then they go to send the distress signal. And I get yeah. that that seems really for the audience to give us exposition about what's going on yeah. more than to it is lead for the characters. Into the villain stuff, yeah. Exactly. And so it's more of a device. You do yes. get to see Keenzer's corrosive snot. You do. Yes. Which is a very interesting but fun character development. Like, toxicity for body fluids is not fun, but, you know, we... Swapping DNA between humans is very deadly sometimes, so it makes sense that it would. <laughs> it's very alien. Yeah, yes. xenomorphs have a similar right thing with their very blood. alien. Another uh, plot device, but it's fine. Like uh, um, they mentioned it earlier, they, they talk they about Kingsler having a cold right. and him uh, blowing up the warp drive. They're and good Kingsler's at setting stuff a, up. Yeah, Kingsler's an established character. It's not like they introduced a character for this film for his corrosive snot. Like right. it, it was fine. All the, three movies set stuff up. The beginning scenes are never just wasted openings. Yes. They all mm-hmm. lead to other. Yeah. So, so my issue here though is because that's how they get out. It seems weird that Crawl would also know they were going to get out and set yeah. them up. I think he may have just assumed, knowing what he knows about the crew, that they are... That the they odds were good. That they resourceful, yeah, that's what I was looking for. Yeah. I mean, maybe he thought that of Ahura. I don't know if he would have that faith in everybody. Right, but, but he, had, he had enough faith that they would figure it out. I okay. do hate a villain's plan being predicated on a hero's actions. Yeah. And this isn't his entire plan or anything well, like that. Because I guess if so. they don't get out, then he doesn't have to worry about ships coming anyway. Exactly. So it doesn't change anything. No. See, and that's part of it too, right? Like, this event 
means doesn't nothing. do anything for anybody. Which right. It doesn't help him. It doesn't help them. It's really a wash to let the audience know more about what's happening. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which feels like maybe there might have been a better way to write that. Yeah. But again, that's that's like my first complaint. <laughs> so, right. And here we are like over halfway through the film and that's your first complaint. So that's okay. Um, so of course we have the, uh, the, the uh, Kirk and Chekhov pairing, which has more of an emotional impact than was really intended because of the sad passing of Anton Yelchin. God. <sighs> so much death today. I had to pause that movie multiple times to talk about how ridiculously unfair his death is. Because mm-hmm. every time I think about it, you know, it. Paul Walker had a small hand in his death. And, mm-hmm. you know, people have since blamed or found a way for Aaliyah to be responsible for her early passing. And there's nothing you can tell me that he did. He got out of his car. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was, it was a tragedy. It was terrible. Um, He's actually younger than all three of us are today, which it bothers me when someone younger than myself is dead because why am I still here? So senseless. Yeah. Um, and I think actually, so something I forgot to mention at the beginning of the episode here, the three of us actually reviewed Star Trek Beyond on mm-hmm. Screen Heroes way back in 2016 when it came out. If you want to go check that out, I'm sure we probably talked a little bit about we Anton because it was we much did. fresher yeah. at the time. Um, still very sad, you know? He's the reason why I don't want a fourth one. Yeah. Well, I, I feel like there are legitimate in, in-universe ways to keep Chekhov alive. And that's that's not... it. Mine's a completely selfish personal reason like, you don't want to see another movie without him yeah yeah i get and, that and that's i'm not like as a story writer who i write all the time like yeah of course there are ways to do it in stories that could be told in wonderful ways but mm-hmm. i just don't want it <laughs> I, I want him in it i mean that's part of why we, yeah so we were going to get a galaxy quest series on amazon yeah yeah and then alan rickman died and mm-hmm. basically everybody involved i'm sure it wasn't literally everybody but a lot of the people involved were basically like i don't want to do it without somebody i know sam yeah. rockwell was very vocal about that because yeah. you know it's been a while since sam rockwell was on tv and him doing yeah. this was a big deal and he was on board because everybody else was and, and i'm not a fan of tim allen i don't need to see more tim allen tv shows but i do point. need well, to see more t- alan, rickman, alan rickman yeah, yeah. that and that is yeah. i was just making yes. a parallel you right know. no i get that um, I get so that. you know i understand that i definitely do so so yeah so the pairing of the two of them is actually great mm-hmm. i love it so much the two of them play off each other really well they have very different personality types um so i think it's great um it's actually we get to see another uniform that mm-hmm. they're wearing that i guess was in the pods <gasps> so with them good. Uh, also, freaking sweet. Yeah, <laughs> you know, for the, the uniform. I know you want that. I do. I want that so. Uh, bad. Yeah, I want that jacket at least. It's, uh, it's like a base jumping Star Trek uniform. It's so yeah. freaking cool. Um, and then they they meet up with the alien woman um, and go back to the ship. Mm-hmm. So we mm-hmm. get to see the ruins of the Enterprise, which is kind of interesting because in, in generations we don't really get to see. Mm-hmm. The ruins yeah. of the ship much. We get a few pieces of it at the very tail I mean, end of the movie. The, the ship got, you know, busted up so late in the film. Like, there wasn't time or necessity to, to retread. But in this, it's like, this is like, the, still almost the first reel. So. Yeah. Um, it's got some cool scenes, though. Like, when they fire the thrusters and the ship starts to tilt, you know, the saucer starts to right. tilt. And they're running through stuff. And they have to jump over hallways and weird things. I right. thought it was really well done. Yeah. Um, I thought that was a really cool set of sequences. Um 
the whole saucer section flipping over thing has a action movie problem that a lot of action movies have, which yeah. is physics. The good guys can run, outrun things mm-hmm. they probably shouldn't be able to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So this is my favorite place to interject Carol Marcus. If she was going to be in the film, I'd want it to be with Kirk and Chekhov. I think that her being a weapons specialist probably means she has weapon combat training and could have been incredibly useful in some of the security moments earlier on the ship. I think uh, maybe her suspecting the alien woman a little bit sooner um, and and kind of having the drop on her a couple times. And I especially think that uh, later on when they get trapped by Jayla's booby traps, like, Carol Marcus missing it because she caught it and yeah it just like she caught it just right before they hit it would have been hilarious right. like she's sitting there chipping away at like, it yeah. and that would have worked fine I, I don't think it would have changed much no uh, like she could have helped him with the comms and it, she just would have been a good addition she's so serious and biting and Chekhov's not, and Kirk is not, so her personality would have mixed and added another dimension. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. I do. Yeah. Um, and, I, I mean, like I said, I don't really know what she costs, but being that this was the biggest budget Star Trek film, I can't imagine it would have been impossible. I believe so. they could have afforded her. She probably cost the exact same mm-hmm. as John Cho and um, Anton Yelchin. Maybe less, because she's a woman. I, that's wow. I'm, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not happy about that. I'm just like noting the society sucks. Exactly. It's. I imagine her budget's on the same with John Cho. She doesn't do that much uh, compared to some of the other characters. Oh, or other actors off off Star Trek. So, I I think they probably could have afforded her. Yeah. And they just chose not to. Fair enough. So uh, the other pairing, of course, is Scotty and Jayla. So that's our introduction to Jayla. Uh, one cool thing about Scotty getting to the planet, again, is a throwback. He goes inside a torpedo, which was completely set up in the previous film. So mm-hmm. the cool thing about that is there's no silly thing where people can get outraged about someone going inside a torpedo. Now, TNG did it. Right. So TNG did it a long, long time ago. I like that not but... everybody got off with an escape pod. Yeah. I yeah. like that... Uh, two of them hijacked a swarm ship. I like that Uhura uh, fell off with Crawl. I liked mm-hmm. that uh, uh, Sulu got nabbed. And, you know, it, it made sense that everybody got out in a different way. And the torpedo was a wonderful throwback. And mm-hmm. it also would have made sense that Carol would have been there and could have had that same escape method because she knew about it right. clearly. Yeah. And she knows how to work a torpedo. But yeah, I just does. feel like, oh, hey, I just feel like she would have interrupted the fun uh, that Scotty and Jayla were having. Sure. But this would be the one chance to actually pass the Bechdel test in mm-hmm. the movie. It does not pass because the two main female characters never talk to each other. Yeah. The second, the first one doesn't pass. The second one barely passes because of a peripheral conversation and Mm -hmm. that that just barely passing is not okay for me no i understand (laughs) so that would have been the one opportunity fair enough those are all my carol marcus interjections um yeah i i I think that the jayla scotty relationship 
is really important to the film and would not have worked with other characters involved early Mm -hmm. on. So maybe they could have found her later after they had already met or something like that. Yeah. Um, So Sophia Butella plays Jayla. She, uh, I first saw her in Kingsman. Yep. She didn't have as many legs then, but you know. For real thought, she had actually been amputated because of how great those prosthetics were and Mm -hmm. how wonderful she moved in the action scenes. Yeah, I was actually surprised to find out that those were... Not yeah. real. Not real. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah. So she's awesome. Uh, really great actor. I'm like, I was really I excited. I love seeing her and stuff. The more she's in, the more I adore. I can't wait till one of the franchises uh, swoop her up for a superhero movie because I think yeah. it's just a matter of time. Cool. Yeah. I um, thought it was going to happen with Birds of Prey. Mm. I thought there was going to be space for uh, but Huntress. Huntress would be cool. Um, I feel like. I could see her as the next Catwoman. Oh yeah, yeah. She she would be great in those yeah, roles. Um, but her her species is super cool. Yeah, like that design is awesome. It's so interesting and different and detailed. Something that I think would be hard to do on a show. But you know, right? This is a movie. Well, I so. mean, Doug Jones. Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, they're they're in league with. I mean, this was in league with what we've seen on Discovery. But keep in mind, 2016. Right. What we had to compare it to. Right. <laughs> as you said before, this film set the bar for a lot of things. So, as someone who has completely analyzed her costume a million times, because cosplay is what I do, she was wearing a bald cap. And they painted it, and then they put a lace front wig on top because those stripes go all the way back her head. And if you pay attention, you can see it. You can't just paint that on somebody's natural hairline and slap a wig on there, so you had to do that extra step. Those lines also go down her arms. You can see that later on. They go down her legs. You catch a glimpse of it. Even though it was under clothes, if it was going to be on screen, they did it. And yeah. that was really cool. Yeah. Yeah. The de- the level of detail is great. Her character is super cool. I love that they, she learned English through the tapes, but it's not perfect English, right? It's her own style because her dialects, you know, for her language are different. So I like that we didn't, there was no problem with them communicating. They didn't have to do any fancy translations. Yeah. yeah. Right. They right. were just able to have this cool character who speaks a unique way that is enjoyable and But it different. makes sense. Nobody can learn an entire language based off of only a few tapes. You know, there's right. no way you she get through. She did really well, but mm-hmm. yeah. So that brings us to the Franklin. Mm-hmm. What a neat ship. I yeah. love that ship. I, I spent extra money on the Blu-ray of this film to get the one that came with the Me ship too. because Aww. it's awesome. See, you guys can't see it because he is here and we don't do video. But Derek was talking about the Franklin just now and he was kicking his legs under the table like a little kid because he's so happy and he kicked me. I'm a sh- <laughs> I, I, love, I love the ships. I am a big yeah. ship guy. Yes, um, we know. And so, you know, it's it's just one of those things where... You're a ship I, guy, but you're not a shit guy. Aww. Thanks, bud. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. I'm just throwing out the compliments tonight. <laughs> um, I, I will say there were a lot of arguments about the Franklin and the fact that it was like the NX-326 and how could it be the first Warp 4 ship when the NX-01 was the first Warp 5 ship. And, you know, the way, the way that stuff kind of works... It is, I mean, it's, it's, it's a sci-fi universe, right? So none of it's real. Uh, so the rules are a little bit play around. I mean, the Excelsior was the NX 2000, uh, for example. Right. Um, 
And even uh, the Defiant, I believe, is an NX class when we first get the Defiant on Deep Space Nine. Yeah, I think you're right. If I remember right. Um, and so, you know, the idea is that they're from different fleets, mm-hmm. right? There are different classes of ships, all that type of stuff. And so that's why the numbering is different. Yeah. Um, of course, then someone can come out and say, well, does that mean there's going to be two different 1701s floating around out there? Sure, of course <laughs> not. There's only one 1701 unless it has a letter on it. And then there's another one. Yeah. Um, but, ABCD. <laughs> um, but I love that ship. I think it is yeah. a super cool bridge that it shows that the Kelvin timeline was the prime timeline at one point mm-hmm. because that ship looks like the NX-01. Yeah. It, 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 the inside, the computer panels, it all looks like it belongs. The uniforms, yep. again, awesome freaking uniforms. Yes. Because uh, Spock gets to wear one and we get to see what those looked like mm-hmm. and that was sweet. Um, tons of cool details like the transporters were not uh, classified. They were, for cargo. <laughs> they were for cargo, not for organic. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, which was a big thing if you watched Enterprise that they were really anti-transporter early on in the show because it wasn't met, they hadn't been tested really yeah. on people yet. And there's still the philosophy that every time you use a transporter, you're being killed, and a copy of you is being replaced. It's a damn good copy, though. Yeah, <laughs> I don't like um, that. Head cannon not accepted. It's dark. I, yeah, I don't like it. But I like that, you know, the, the effect was a little bit different for those transporters. You could tell that the technology mm-hmm. obviously has changed right. over 100 years. Um, and it's a much smaller ship, right? There's no secondary hull. It's even smaller than the NX-01 Enterprise. Yeah. Um, so I loved it. Yeah. I mean, I have nothing else to add. <laughs> Aesthetically, it was very beautiful. I like that it. it was dirty. I like that it was rust covered right. and it aged very well. The I, I can't speak to the technology and the history because I'm not as fluent in Trek as you guys are, but I can say that I immediately got that it was a less technologi- technologically advanced ship, that it was smaller, took a much smaller crew. Like I understood what it was doing. Yeah, so, and that's the point, right? And if we look at it, so if we use the NX-01 Enterprise as a basis of comparison, that ship only had a crew of fifty people mm-hmm. when it launched. Uh, I think it was forty-nine, I think officially, if I remember right. So that means the Franklin couldn't have had any more than that, right? Right? Maybe it was less. Maybe it was thirty or forty. You know, uh, so it's a small ship. You know, Voyager's a tiny ship, and that was still one hundred and thirty-nine people or whatever it was. Yeah. You yeah. Know? So. It's a tiny ship. Um, I think it's super cool. I love when they get the crew on board and they have to figure out how to fly it. And, you know, Kirk goes to see them. Like, you know how to fly this thing, right? Are you kidding, I, sir? Are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah, that was good. Um, but then he's not quite sure if it's going to work or not, which I thought was cute. Yeah. Um, yeah. I feel like some of the times where Sulu is a bit biting towards uh, Kirk is... Uh, Nice little acknowledgement that Takei and Shatner don't talk and don't really like each right. other. So yeah. maybe I mean it's possible. Cho and Pine obviously have a much better relationship, <laughs> right? Yeah, right. I mean, everyone's got a better relationship than those two. Um, so, all right. So this brings us to Crawl, yeah, and his his uh, fellow enemies. Um, this is kind of my big problem with the film, mm-hmm. and it's not Idris Elba. Because he he's freaking sweet. And Kroll as a character is super cool. Yeah. Balthazar Edison is a great character as well. I agree. 
as Rachel pointed out last week, two of the three uh, villains of these films come from inside the Federation. Yeah, and they all come from out of time. Yeah, mm-hmm. all three all, of them. Yeah, all out of time. Yeah. Um, and so, okay, so here's here's my issue. I don't quite understand the transformation as a whole. I don't just mean visually, right? Though visually is a little confusing. One could argue that that's what the species looked like that created the technology. Then I'm not quite sure how that transfers them DNA wise. Mm-hmm. Um, but more of they forgot who they were. They forgot about the ship completely on a planet where they're trying to keep people. They completely forgot about a warp capable ship, right? Uh, that apparently could fly. Yeah. <laughs> I think they assumed it was too damaged. And at the time when Without it, Scotty, when they first crashed, like it, he clearly didn't completely forget about it because he still did the captain's log. I, I well, don't until a certain point. Right. I don't think this was really explained very well because no. I, I kind of got it. I get that he is an amalgamation of all the life force that this weapon has let him steal. Right. And he's not a species of any kind because what he's essentially raping people of their DNA to let him continue. So mm, that's interesting. he is not any one species. He and Manus, who I believe are the only two left from the original crew. Well, and the woman. Uh, oh, right. the the one they don't really talk about or show ever. You're right. Okay, because um, women should be seen. And you and said not that to heard. me like I it was my fault. <laughs> no, I did. I, that was a little. I'm sorry. Hard. I I, I, I tried to right talk at you. I tried and... to talk to Simon Pig about it, but he just wasn't interested. <laughs> um, I I feel like he's just this weird mixture, and after each time he takes somebody's life. That he looks different every single time. That's my understanding. And so, like, from a plot point, it doesn't bother me that maybe his, like, cognitive capabilities become a little muddied. He becomes mm-hmm. a little more focused on on revenge and the darker aspects. And, and not... Because uh, maybe there's no control over, like, which aspects of which species that you get to maintain. And so... Especially if he gets, like, more baser instincts, like, yes, aggression. survival. Sure. Like, so it doesn't bother me that, like, he is not, you know super smart enough to realize like oh there's another ship here that we can probably at least salvage to get out of here the way he talks so. it does sound like his intellect has completely been um reduced yes see but I, I don't know though because his plan is pretty sophisticated because he came up with a plan before he had declined to a certain point but he and was able to remember it i don't know about yeah, that I mean, I don't... if you're fixated on that plan like I, obviously he knew about uh prolonging life before he started to lose his mind or intellect or something like that, or his compassion, I guess. Um, but I don't know if he knew about the Abernath, you know, like the Abernath seems to be the complete ridiculous out of nowhere item in this whole movie. Cause how did he know about this ancient weapon? How did he right. know that it was scattered across the universe? Where did he find the other one? There's no explanation to that. It really is just thrown in there to make this guy more dangerous. So the yeah. way I took it was that it did originate on that planet. So when he was learning the technology and learning the language, he was able to learn that information. Okay. Where he gets the other piece, I, I mean, I assume yeah. the answer is another species that he yeah. tricked into coming there. 
there's right there's not a lot of answers that this film gives about some of these things and ultimately it's not necessary for it to be a good film but you're right like there there are some holes now the intellect thing i i don't i don't think his intellect was really uh diminished because like he had to hack the yorktown he had mm-hmm. to hack the communication protocols to find out that the enterprise even had the other piece of the abernath Right. Right. Like this was all a big plan that took a lot of advanced thinking and sure and military tactics. Which is why it makes no sense to me that he has a base set of language that it's not as advanced. So here's so, here's my understanding there. This is this is also part of the plot, right? Why did he lose his English? So I yeah. guess following maybe your logic, Ray, is that when he's gaining all of his DNA of other species and he's losing his own, that he's losing his own language too. That's possible. And he's not speaking English anymore. The, they're, the three of them together or whatever are speaking this other alien language or something like or that. Or maybe an amalgamation of a ton of languages because that's right. all they have. Because it could have been well, 80 years since he spoke in English. And also, like, you got to figure you're trying to cram a lot of intellect and a lot of DNA from a lot of different cultures and throughout history into one mind that's originated as a human mind. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's difficult. They did have and discovery Klingon teeth, too. They yes, had the prosthetics they tops did. and bottom, so it was difficult to hear, and he spoke with a lisp, and yeah. at the beginning it was very rough. And, and I mean, I, intellect, to, me, to, to the point of intellect, it just, I don't know. It, it makes sense to me, like, yeah, he's not neurotypical, but you think of, like, people who are, like, maybe on the spectrum, and, like, they're really intelligent in some areas, but less so in others, and, like, I'm not comparing Kroll to, you know, someone on the spectrum, but you think of, like, these, um... Possibilities still possibility, exist. The possibility exists, and you think of these intense, um, um, cognitive diagnoses, and it's like, this is one mind that has expanded to fit a lot of things, and it's like, it doesn't bother me that, that he held on to, like, uh... Ray said the, the baser instinct. It doesn't bother me that he held on to the things that fit to his plan. Mm-hmm. Like, we all like confirmation bias is a thing on a, on a regular, you know, in the regular average human being. And so I'm going to hold on to the things that serve me. And this plan for vengeance, it's less about intellect at that point. And, like, these are, like, the priorities that I have chosen to fill the limited cognitive space that I have. Fair enough. All right. So um, we have the big rescue scene. Mm-hmm. Right? Scotty fixes the transporters. They're going to have the big rescue. Uh, Kirk rides it on the motorcycle, all that kind of stuff. It was a fun scene. Um, it was good action. Yeah, it's a fun scene. It's a it's a cool set. It's a big set. They had to build that. Yeah, you know they didn't shoot somewhere. So, yeah. Um, so was, that's pretty cool. It was well done. Like I mean, I don't know what else to say about it other than it was like a fun action scene. Really, I like part. I, there's parts of it that I really like. I like the idea that you know. Jayla isn't sure if she can trust them to come back for her. And they and prove it, yeah. Are they going to get, is she going to get left behind and all these types of things? And There's Kirk, that whole like stronger together metaphor, which is very indicative of what the Federation is about. Well, that's good. Yeah, we kind of skipped over that a little bit, right? When they first ask Jayla to help them, yeah. she says no. Mm-hmm. Right? And Scotty's got to have his talk with her. Where he talks, yeah. you know, he uses the metaphor of, you know, you can't break a stick in a bundle kind of thing. And it's a, I like that metaphor. It's yeah. cute. It's a cute metaphor, right? It, it does fits. sound like something your grandma says to you, you know? And that's what he said. And if his grandma had wheels, she'd be a wagon, uh, which is another Scottyism. Mm-hmm. But um, anyway, uh, it's a cool, it's a cool moment. It's a cool scene. I appreciate that she's still very much aware of her surroundings and knows that Kirk's watching, mm-hmm. you know, and you know, basically calls him out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but you know, they prove their their worth, and they, you know, he saves her and all that kind of stuff. Yes. Um. So then we have the big space scene the thought franklin has to go into you know has to fly 
I don't know about the science behind that. I find it unlikely that that would have worked. Yeah. <laughs> it was an action movie thing. It was a, you know, is this plane going to pull up in time? I mean, it was like Star Wars, what Force Awakens, where like they come in a little hot. It's like, oh, can we pull up over this ledge? Like, I mean, it's, it's, we've seen it in every action movie, every sci-fi movie ever. Yeah, it's but fine. usually they have working engines. But this is like pushing a car down a hill. Yeah, I, I, it is. Um, I mean, I just, but, it, but it doesn't have it wheels or an engine. Right. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> My <laughs> favorite part is understanding that every single one of these actors were up against a green screen and they had to act as if they were falling straight down like it was a fucking amusement ride. Just <sighs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was awesome. The unfinished scenes would be fun to watch. They would. I agree. Um Kind of like there's those me- those like gifs out there where people stabilize the camera on like TNG and stuff like that where they oh, pretend yeah. to get knocked around and at least <laughs> two people left. Yeah, over. It's a fly over something. Um, all right, so so the ship flies. It's a beautiful shot. It's a really cool scene. I love seeing that ship. It's very cinematic. But then we have you know the big B battle with the Yorktown and everything with the very controversial music that was. Yeah. Beautiful and I loved brilliant. It. I loved it. It's so much fun. I loved it. And it, it was it was perfect for this trilogy and these films. The science worked behind it. Yeah. It makes sense. That is how you disrupt bees. Yeah. Loud noises. <laughs> like that's how it works. That's how you disrupt venom. <laughs> I'm cool with that. Yeah. I the them just randomly exploding felt like a bit much. Um, sure, I, mean, I don't even care. Sure. That was care. great. Uh, I don't care. But here's the thing: I love that music choice, and here's why. First off, I love the reference where Bone says, "Is that classical music?" Yeah, Spock's like it appears so. That's yeah. a great line. The callback to the first movie is a great sign, yeah. and it is called sabotage, and they are literally sabotaging yes, the swarm. It, it was perfect. It was almost like they set it up from the first film, which they didn't, but it, but it felt like it when they set it and the song starts and they cut to Kirk in the chair. He's like, "Nice choice," yeah. you know, because yeah. that's it. That's the song that we see him throw a Corvette over a cliff. Yeah, you know this this song matches this Kirk. Yeah, I mean, and, and I I was indifferent to the song before this, but, like, after these films, like, I, I now, this song like it a soft more. spot in my heart. I was at a concert, and, like, I mean, it's a, it's a concert tradition where the band, at some point, like, usually two-thirds through their set, has to cover a different song. And I was seeing Group Love uh, a while back, after this film came out, and Group Love covered this, and I'm like, oh, this makes me so much more happy because of Star Trek <laughs> than it would have originally, so. When they gave Yorktown the broadcasting... Uh, channel or theater that oh my god seeing that wall of fire come off was so cool oh my god yeah. <laughs> it it is super cheesy and it's over the top and I think it is the perfect climax to this film it's the yeah. exact opposite effect of what happened in the Guardians of the Galaxy when the Nova Corps just started like blowing up because yeah. that was the good guys versus the bad guys so you still have this whole rush of emotion because it's so well done yeah but at least this time it's good and you're you're not like watching a ton of people that you just saw in the background just die right. <laughs> yeah so they all blow up they go inside they have a cool little chase scene inside the yorktown um I kind of like the way it ends with the, the Franklin flying up through the water and, you know, crawl ship attaching to it like it would yeah. in space. Um, so we get to see Idris, kind of, almost. Almost, yeah. I'm glad they didn't completely get rid of it. 
I mean, you they know. paid they paid a lot of money for a very gorgeous man, and they put him in prosthetics. <laughs> and, and I'm a straight guy saying this; like he was way too gorgeous. He did to finally the sexiest man alive. Finally, this year, yeah. yeah. Congrats, I mean, Idris. Yeah, and every heterosexual woman, bisexual man and woman, and homosexual man was like, "Yeah, that makes sense." I'm a straight guy, and I was like, no, it's about time. <laughs> I saw the cover, and I, I assumed it was from another year. Like, I nope. thought it already happened. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know. Well, a lot of people wanted it to happen, like, last year when it was Blake Shelton, of all people. I shared so many memes of other attractive men. I was like, how yeah. are you going to pick Blake Shelton when Jason Momoa's alive? <laughs> like, yeah. Come on. It's a bad choice. But that's neither here nor there. So, so yeah, so, um, this, this, <laughs> this is where the movie gets a little loopy. Yes. Kind of literally. So, yeah. you know, they go to the center of the thing and you gotta shut down the thing or everybody dies because you have to have, you know, high stakes for the film. Action movie high stakes, typical stuff. Like, it's it's fine. Yeah. It's fun, but, like, I don't, like, I, I'm, like, mentally kind of checked out at this point in my rewatch. I was like, okay, like, I know it's happening and it's fun, but, like, the emotional character stuff is more where, like, this film resonates for me. So I was like, ah, I started, like, looking at my I feel like, the, yeah, the, the chase scene in Yorktown, while it was pretty, it just was excessive at this point yeah like we i i had like the cool moment like with the wave and the beastie boys and after that it's like okay like let's let's get to the good let's get to like the emotional like wrap up here well right. i want to see the one-on-one fight with kirk and yes that uh, was important crawl way more than i want to see this chase scene like you just had this amazing space battle yeah and now you've got little little dog fight like in a pond somewhere justin like, lynn had to work in his chase scenes man I it's was just, fine with it, but <laughs> I mean, I was too the first time. I feel like it like, just wasn't a good follow up to the scene right before. I, right. I think, yeah, it totally makes sense. And... They they wrote they literally rode that wave out through the end of the film. <laughs> so, so um, I actually literally. thought so. There's a moment where uh, Balthasar sees himself in the glass. Yeah, mm-hmm. I thought that was gonna go somewhere. But it really doesn't. No. no. It, I was actually hoping that the glass would have hit Kirk mm. or something. You know, just make make this man go through even more. So that when he finally mm-hmm. decides he's not going to take the vice admiral position. That he right. is going to go back to flying. And it's a, a little more like, dude, you were just through hell and back. So I, like, skip that whole scene of self-reflection and just... See, I, I wanted the self-reflection to go somewhere. I wanted Balthazar to realize that he had turned into a monster yeah. and stop. Because in the previous two films, we had similar characters who had similar backgrounds of being betrayed by the Federation in some respect, and they were just bad guys. And I think it would have been cool to see him realize what happened yeah. and come to his senses and obviously still get in trouble Right, but have that moment of I'm not going to kill everybody on this station. Yeah, I think would have been, cool. been cool. I think it would have. I think it would have been more Trek. Exactly, in what is ar- arguably the most Trek of the Kelvin films. Yeah, it's um, a fair point. That that's where it would have resolved, especially because you show the scene. Like you've got the glass floating. You go through the work to show him in there from a digital effects perspective, and it doesn't go anywhere. Right. Um, so I would have liked to see that, but of course everything's fine. Yeah, that's fine. Kirk saves the day. It, there was a dramatic moment, like, where he's mm-hmm. fumbling with the thing, and it took a minute, but, you, I mean, no one in the audience of our age it, it gives into that anymore. We're like, okay, he's gonna be fine. It reminded me a little bit of First Contact when they're trying to let the dish go. Yeah. And the one yeah. thing's jammed, of course. Yeah, <laughs> it's always one. the final one that's jammed. <laughs> uh, but, yeah. Like, but they get out, they save the day, it's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, 
for me, like, this film gets really good again, like, towards the end where there's, like, the emotional, like, aspect. Like, there's the picking up the pieces. There is, you know, Kirk um, deciding he doesn't want to give up, you know, the fly. You know, his, his spot as in the captain's chair. Mm-hmm. Um, the... Never let them promote you. Yeah. Like, and that, that's a callback to the original series films. Because while you're in that chair, you can make a difference. Yeah. Um, and when you're an admiral, you're basically a corrupt son of a bitch who's not a fucking <laughs> Unless you're Janeway. Yeah. Um, Alright, so... not all admirals. <laughs> Janeway is a badass. Um, so, you do have the scene where Spock opens the package from Admiral yeah. Spock. And the picture... Break my heart. Choice. So, this is a... This was an emotional scene for a few reasons, right? First yeah. off... Leonard Nimoy had died, which meant this was really the end of the road for his version of Spock. And one of the only, well, the only kind of TOS film he's not in. Uh, yeah. I mean. I mean, he wasn't in Generations, I guess you could argue. But uh, this was a big deal, right? And so that's emotional, number one, that he that he died. Um, number two, they don't just show a picture of Spock. And they don't just show a picture of characters together. They show a promotional photo from the original series films, Mm -hmm. which is astonishing to me that three movies in, they were going to straight up acknowledge the original cast completely Mm -hmm. in full right there as this is the future them. Yeah. That's really for, I I have no other way of saying it. That's really fucking cool. Yeah. <laughs> it went beyond expectations. Uh, so I love that. I love that moment. I love <laughs> that picture. I think it's absolutely amazing. I think it's fantastic. Yeah. So. Yeah, I agree. It was a beautiful moment. Um. Uh. And then to you know bring more hit hard with more emotion. Like I loved like Kirk's speech for one was great. Um. And everything he had to say was great. But there was that moment, and I assume it was intentional. Like, where he's talking about uh, saying, you know, farewell to, like, to friends who are not, no longer present. And the camera immediately pans the check off. And it's like, we get it. I know he's fucking dead. Why did you have to rub my face in it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that felt well edited. Yes. <laughs> uh, there's a couple cool moments in there. You get to hear Chekhov make uh, a, a updated, a revised version of a reference he makes in the original series. Which yes. is that scotch was invented by a little Russian woman. A little uh-huh. woman in Russia. A little yeah. old lady in Russia. Because they... My problem with this whole thing is they really have to point out a lot that these people are so diverse. And I feel like all the pointy-eared and green-blooded stuff, like, that's kind of derogatory, dude. And, you know, making the stereotype that just because he's Russian, he drinks vodka, when clearly he hasn't set foot in Russia in many years. But the original checkoff, the line is vodka. Yeah. yeah. In the original series. Uh-huh. And so that's the part of the joke. And I like that. I like that they took they, they took aspects from the original series from the TOS films yeah. and made adjustments to them because yeah. these are supposed to be the same characters. Well, yeah, that's absolutely wonderful. You know, and, yeah. and I love that. I think that's great. Um, Further evidence of this being a love letter to the fans. I love the Jayla moment. Scotty gets her in you yeah. know, to Starfleet. I like the, the, the line where you know, uh, her edge is not off. Yeah. In there. Yeah. <laughs> With like 10, 15 drinks in front of her. Yeah. Been there. Um, You don't even drink. Not often, but it's because of situations like that. Um, Anyway, I just—it's cool. She gets into Starfleet. She's really excited about it. 
you know, Kirk makes the comment about, you know, don't, they have a lot of rules, don't listen to all of them. Yes. Uh, yeah. Do I have to wear the uniform? <laughs> you know, kind of thing. Yeah. It's cool. Um, Which, again, like, that final scene, it's like, if there's another Trek movie, Jayla better fucking be there. So then you have the Kirk-Spock moment, where they both basically admit that they had things that are no longer things. Yeah. And it's resolved. It's very cute. Uh, Which those two would just, you know, make honest men out of each other. <laughs> the uh, That's the origin of slash fiction. Is yeah, Kirk and Spock, true. by the way. I mean, there is that know. scene in the original series, which there's no other way to interpret that as, like, super homoerotic. Which scene? The scene where, I can't remember what the episode was, but it, um, Kirk basically, like, he's he's stiff, and, and he thinks that, that Spock is, like, leaning in. He's like, oh, yeah, get in there, Mr. Spock. And then Spock, like, kind of, like, does a little side-eye and a, like, a clears his throat and, like, steps aside. And then, like, Kirk sees that it's not Spock digging into his shoulder. He's like, never mind Yeoman. I think it was Yeoman Randy. He was like, never mind Yeoman. You can go. Like, he sends, <laughs> he sends this, this beautiful blonde out because he thought his, his bro <laughs> was digging into those knots for him. Like, I mean, there's, there's, I mean. Yeah. I, I mean, you have the end of a lot of time where yeah. Spock thought he had killed Kirk. And yeah. When Jim's alive and, you know, he shows emotion in yeah. that moment, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, those two, I mean, it it's happening. So everyone kind of comes up to the window, the whole crew together, to watch the Enterprise A be built. Um, slightly updated design and all of that. And we yep. close out with all of them getting a piece of the monologue. The, yeah, the, the yeah. slogan of Which Star Trek. Which was so great. I, they waited a little too long to show what they were looking at. Because at first, I really thought that Spock was just being an ass by himself. You know? Yeah, like. Right. <laughs> Like, dude, what are you staring at? Like, they should have shown it just a little bit sooner because I mm-hmm. was curious. So, what I want to also, kind of... as a side note, like that the whole party scene, I love that uh, the alien from the beginning makes a cameo. He's yeah. like, oh, it's like not wearing pants. I see. All right, Kevin, Kevin, yeah, Kevin. Yeah. That's what it's Kevin, <laughs> yeah. not wearing pants. I love that. Um, so the end of this movie kind of solidified for me that I think it was intended to be the last one. I think so, too. Yeah. I mean, they talked a long time, like, right after this came out, they talked about the next one, but it seemed, this seems very final. And there's a lot of reasons for me. First, you have the way the Enterprise is destroyed. Mm -hmm. It's destroyed in a very specific way, right? Because in Star Trek, the Enterprise is destroyed a bunch of times. Yeah. Um, You know, they say that, actually, but I guess it's really only destroyed once, officially. Uh, Twice, if you count Generations, I guess. And then this time. So, you... You get to see it be dismantled, piece yeah. by piece. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's right? taken apart like kids rip apart their Lego. Yeah. You get to see the saucer step, which is pulling out all the last stops. It's completely done. Mm-hmm. You then later on have these moments where they're focusing on the crew in a way that seems like this is the last shot of them. Yeah. Right. And that's very TOS in the old movies. Like, the Rathacon did that, for example. You know, Star Trek Four. I mean, Star Trek Six. they all, like, signed the credits. Right. But the way they all do the slogan at the end, mm-hmm. piece by piece, yeah. certainly feels like a goodbye. Yeah. Because until then, it had been Kirk, Spock, mm-hmm. and Picard. They're the only ones who've ever said it. Mm-hmm. And they have the entire main cast say a piece. All of them. They yeah. all get it. It's a good point. Right? It feels like that was intended to be the last time we see them. Yeah. So, 
I know we're supposed to get a fourth film. They keep talking about it. There's contract disputes with uh, Chris Pine and Chris Hemsworth. I mean, Chris Pine's been really busy filming the Braveheart sequel, so... Outlaw King. Outlaw King. Oh. And he's playing Robert the Bruce. Like, it's yeah. not an actual Braveheart sequel, but I'm like, oh, he's playing Robert the Bruce. Okay, this is the Braveheart sequel. Um, yeah, so, I mean, I don't know if we'll ever get it. To yeah. Ray's point with Chekhov, I mean, you know, I, I hope that if they do another one, they don't kill off the character, but <sighs> they, you know, right. he, look, he can be transferred to the Reliant, like he was in the films. You know, so. Right. Do you think they bring back the whales? <laughs> <laughs> That hit a little too late for me, but uh, yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's an option. They can they can go that route. Um, so we'll know. see. We don't know, but uh, we are way over time again. Oh, that's fine. So there Always. are a few tiny things. Like I love a forest tracking device necklace. <laughs> like, oh, we didn't talk about. Oh, that. yeah, we didn't talk about it, that. It's not a huge part of the plot. It's no. really not. It's it was a, a funny moment. Yeah. Um, but it comes back later, right? Because you know, Bones is like, you know, you gave you gave your girlfriend radioactive jewelry. The emissions are harmless. You gave your girlfriend a, a tracking, tracking device. device. That <laughs> was not my initial intention. <laughs> yeah. And then at the end, though, she's still wearing it, and Bones gives him a look. Yeah, so good. <laughs> and it's clear that she has that he has not explained it to her nope. at all. No. <laughs> he low jacked Uhura. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It was funny. Ah, uh, yeah. That's really good. I love Chekhov being thrown out of the Orion's bedroom. Yeah. That yeah. was fun. Beginning, yeah, I forgot about that. Is, I... she, is she Orion? Because she always looked a little orange to me. No, she's green. Okay, yeah. just checking. Her hair is incredibly orange. The other ones was much more maroon and red and kind of blended in with her outfit. Her hair is straight up orange. So since you are a bit color deficient, I can see how it would blend. Yeah, I wasn't sure. I, I, I no, thought maybe she was supposed to be a different species. She's Orion. She okay. is the almost the exact same shade of green as the one in the first two films. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, so small little things like that just make me happy. I like that Chekhov is a ladies' man who strikes out yeah. instead of a ladies' man that succeeds. Yeah. I it's it's better than the, like, Katian threesome that uh, Kirk has in the, first, in the second movie. Yeah. Like, but no way, dude. Like, yeah. no way you ended up with the Katian Kardashians. That didn't happen. <laughs> I mean, we don't really know what sex is like in that century, you know? Maybe they were professionals. Oh. We don't know. That's a valid point. I get, All right. I, I get the point that Kirk has never paid for sex, though. And There's no well, money. I know. That's true. <laughs> I get, but I get the fact that Kirk has never paid up front for sex. He only pays after the fact. Look, we don't, my point is we, we have no idea who those women were. You know, they could have been other officers. They could have been... It's a valid point. Yeah. yeah. Who knows? We have no point. idea. Right. Um, no, there's a lot of cute mo- moments. I, I like the, I, I like that, you know, some of the, the crew were flirting with each other mm-hmm. and the, the yeah. different, um, the different, uh, classes were all kind of, you know, mixed together. You have friend groups of all the different colors yeah. And, yeah. and all of that, which you don't get to see a lot of in the original series because the budgets were so tight. You'd have a random person walking down a corridor or something like that, but not groups of people right. on a regular yeah. basis. Right. And that, that felt much more natural. Yeah. Yeah. On a big ship. So, great, great movie. Yeah. Any other thoughts or comments, grades that you would like to give the film? I mean, I, I participated in the survey and I gave it an A. It's one of my favorites. It's Same a go-to. Here. It's a feel-good rewatch when I'm feeling down. It's just a fun movie. Agreed. 
Yeah, I, I love it. The, like I said, it's my it's my favorite score of the of the three Kelvin films. It's probably my fourth favorite Star Trek film overall. The colors are so vibrant and it feels so Trek. Yeah. Um, I bought. I don't have a 4K TV, but I bought the version that came with a 4K disc, so that someday when I have a 4K <laughs> TV, I can watch these even more vibrantly. I did the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was the first HDR movie I bought. I mean, of course, because we bought the one that came with the ship. So. Right. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Spared it's, no expense, spared no as expense. John Hammond would say. <laughs> yeah, we love it. It's it's great. We hope you love it too. If you if you don't, if you're one of those people who really don't like this one, we would be interested to know why. Yeah. Uh, I would be curious to know. Uh, it's of course not perfect. No movie is, but. I love it. I do. Yeah. And if this is where that crew ends, as bummed as I may be, I think that it's a good ending. It's It's a great way to go out. Having all of them look up at the sky in a very hopeful manner, wanting to continue their five-year mission, and it ending with each of them saying part of the monologue. It was beautiful. That's how it should end. Yeah. I mean, if they're going to make another film... It better not just be for the money, and it needs to be a really fucking good reason to make another film. They need to have a, an actual legitimate reason to do so. Well, it's not going to be for the money, because... Because these, this didn't make any yeah, money. The, they, yeah. Each Kelvin film made less money with a bigger budget, which means... Yeah. there's there's a So we, when you add marketing into things, right. it is possible that Beyond lost Paramount money. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if they're, like, from what I've read, from what I understand, like, the fact that it broke even may be, like... The only upside is that it might have broken even. My wish list from here on out is TNG. Like, yeah. I want to see a TNG. And I, like, McAvoy has said that he wants to play every young version of Patrick Stewart. <laughs> I'm on board. He, he said it jokingly, but I feel like that's not far off. So we may get, like, young Ebenezer Scrooge and young Green Room. Are you going to remake the Page Master? <sighs> I'm on board. Uh, live action. You know, this time I want yeah. to see actual books walking. Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, that looks inexplicably furry. <laughs> somebody did a really good fan casting with Kristen Ritter as Deanna Troy and with oh, suspicion yeah. that uh, the Netflix Marvel shows are losing Netflix money. You know, she may be needing a job soon. So I, that's what I want to see. I know it's very difficult. I know properties and money and it all ha- comes down to rights and stuff, but... Yeah, Star Trek's confusing. Paramount's allowed to make films. As far as I understand, they have the rights to the TNG characters as long Mm -hmm. as it's in a movie, not a TV show. Um, So, you know, we'll have to see. All right, well, I think then that's going to be it for us this week. Uh, We are taking next week off for Thanksgiving here in the United States. So we are going to give ourselves a, a week off. And then we're actually coming back to do something a little bit different. We have one week to kind of play around uh, before we kick back into discovery mode. So here is our plan moving forward. We're off next week. When we come back for episode 51 for the last, um, for that next episode, we are going to be reviewing the three of us, my favorite other Star Trek film, Galaxy Quest. <laughs> so, uh, hammer. <laughs> I, I love Galaxy Quest. It's going to be really fun to rewatch it and just yeah. to talk about it with you guys. I haven't rewatched in a couple of years, so this will be a good time. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. So, we're going to do that. And then after that, we're going to change things up a little bit. Ray is going to drop off. And For a bit. I'll be back, guys. Don't worry about me. And Zach and I are going to spend three weeks in December reviewing the first three Star Trek Discovery short treks. Uh, the three episode, first three episodes will be out at that point, so we will spend the first three weeks in December, the full weeks of December, reviewing those. 
before we take off for the holidays at the end of the year and then come back and it's all discovery in January. So that is our plan for the time being. Hopefully Greg will be back in January to join us for the premiere of discovery, but we will adjust as we can. Uh, Zach, how can people reach you if they want to talk Trek or other nerdy stuff? Uh, at Avengers ES is my handle on both Twitter and Instagram. So that's the best place to find me. I'm either talking about my cat or politics or <laughs> Star Trek. And I mean, Star Trek and politics, those, those bleed together quite often. So yeah. Fair enough. Ray. I am at Siren Ray. I am mostly cosplay, so, you know, that's what you're going to see. I may talk randomly about other stuff, and it's probably not going to be very nice, because I'm kind of a shit poster. <laughs> and I am, the, <laughs> I am the, the Star Trek dude on Twitter. Please come talk Trek and video games and stuff with me. I love all of that. You can find this show, Red Shirts and Runabouts, at Red Shirts Pod on Twitter, or you can follow the whole Heroes Podcast Network at Heroes Podcasts. On Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitch, or heroespodcasts.com. If you like our shows, please go to our website, click on the store link, or on our Facebook page, click on the store link. We have a new T Public store Woo! with brand new designs, including oh, yeah. a uh, fun inside joke from Screen Heroes. If you listen to that, more designs are coming. Uh, it helps us afford microphones and offset the cost of other equipment and the website and domains and all that good stuff. So please go check that out if you're interested. Otherwise, we'll be back. Or just send us money. Or just send us money. Um, or you can join our Patreon. We yeah. do have a Patreon and you can support us that way as well. Otherwise, we will be back in two weeks. Happy Thanksgiving to everybody in the United States or anybody who happens to celebrate it. And for the rest of you, enjoy the rest of November. We'll catch you next time. Red Shirts and Runabouts is part of the Heroes Podcast Network. The show is hosted by myself, Gregory Bosco, along with Jeremy Munkin, and Derek Mayer. The theme song is by Flying Killer Robots. You can find us as well as other Heroes Podcast Network shows at heroespodcast.com, as well as on iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, Google Play, and anywhere you can use an RSS feed. Follow us on social media at Heroes Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitch. And you can also email us at contact at heroespodcast.com. Engage. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.